Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. This reading is for December 12th. I will be reading the next three articles. TV Review, Doctor Who Special, The Giggle is a Wild Ride, but Ignores Something Important About the Show by Julie River. Laura Jane Grace releases new single, Cuffing Season by Rosai Trammell, and Queer Holiday Safety Planning by Jesse Proya. TV review, Doctor Who special, The Giggle is a wild ride but ignores something important about the show. Rating 88 out of 100. It took me a while to articulate why I don't love the idea of David Tennant returning to Doctor Who as the 14th Doctor. The part that makes it hard to argue against is that it is true that the anniversary specials are usually a place where the show gives itself permission to revisit the past. Traditionally, Doctor Who anniversary specials have featured adventures in which the past Doctors come back to team up with the current Doctor, known as a multi-Doctor episode. What I like about the approach is that it doesn't privilege one previous actor over all the others to make three episodes that simply bring back a popular past doctor to the role seems to be a way of stamping that actor as the true doctor as if to say that this isn't doctor who the never-ending series with a parade of excellent actors trading off the role is the david tennant show as someone who's in love with the show but only considers Tennant to be my fourth favorite doctor, Matt Smith is my favorite, I don't want to watch my favorite series, a core part of my identity, turn into the David Tennant show. But then, I also wouldn't support it if someone had pulled the same gimmick with Matt Smith. Instead, having the doctor regenerate back into my doctor, I always live in anticipation of meeting the next doctor and watching the show move on and move forward. Admittedly, some of the reasoning behind Tennant's return likely had to do with the timing of the 60th anniversary. For one thing, last season already had a multi-doctor episode called The Power of the Doctor, which was aired for the BBC's 100th anniversary. That episode found ways to bring back Doctors 5 through 8 as flashbacks and aspects of the Doctor's personality instead of her own head. So doing another multi-doctor episode for the show's 60th anniversary might have seemed a tad repetitive, and the 60th anniversary happened to fall on a year between incarnations of the Doctor, meaning that the 60th was potentially looking at a possibility of resting a huge special on the shoulders of the show's brand new and untested star, Nukudi Gatwa, which the BBC might have considered to be risky. So in many ways, I admit that making Tennant the 14th Doctor was a convenient solution to a couple of different problems simultaneously, but I still don't fancy keeping the 60-year-old franchise forever mired in nostalgia over one single era from the past. And in the third 
of the Doctor Who specials, The Giggle, showrunner Russell T. Davies further privileges David Tennant over all other Doctors. In many ways, The Giggle is a brilliant, fun ride. Queer icon Neil Patrick Harris puts in an outstanding performance as the Toymaker, formerly known as the Celestial Toymaker, who last appeared on the show during the First Doctor era in 1966. The Toymaker finds its way out of its own realm into the real world, where he plants a pattern into the head of every human on Earth through an image hidden in the very first television broadcast. The hidden message in the broadcast makes every human on Earth even more self-righteous and certain that they're right about everything. This leads to some interesting parallels to the modern society that aren't expanded upon much because the episode was already overpacked with plot. But people's refusal to wear the device that blocks the signal in their brains hilariously mimics the anti-vaxxer response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Harris's wild, fanciful performance as the toy maker makes him out to be an evil ringmaster of an absurd circus, which is made all the more impressive by the recent news that Harris had never even heard of Doctor Who before being cast in the role. One of the conceits of the episode is that the Toymaker's realm is a fanciful one that exists outside of the normal rules of logic and is instead governed by the rules of play and imagination. It's a clever device that frees Davies from one of his biggest weaknesses as a writer, trying to follow the, his own internal logic of an episode. It gives him permission to pull solutions out of thin air, which is what he usually does anyway. Harris's accent shifts from German to British to American at random, and yet it never feels like an accident. Instead, it feels like a symbolic representation of the chaotic nature of the toy maker and his realm. That's a very precise and difficult performance to pull off, and few actors could have pulled that off as well as Harris. In fact, I've long said in the event that anyone attempts to make an American Doctor Who, which they shouldn't, Neil Patrick Harris would be the most perfect possible choice for the Doctor. The episode plays off of an actual piece of history. One of the very first televised broadcasts, a test performed on a ventriloquist dummy known as Stooky Bill. The episode claims Scottish inventor John Logie Bard to be the inventor of television when in reality there's some debate over the television's true inventor as several people developed it simultaneously. But Baird certainly was one of them and Stooky Bill was actually his first experimental broadcast. In addition to the toy maker, there's one other character from the classic series who makes a surprise appearance. And the character they brought back could not possibly have been more random. Far from being a fan favorite, the the character who returns is generally disliked by a small number of dedicated Who fans who even remember them, and their addition to the story adds almost nothing, making it absolutely confounding that they were brought back at all. But to talk about the big controversial twist to the episode, I have to get spoilery again, so here's your obligatory River Song warning. Beware of spoilers from here on out. In another gimmick that, as I have said, privileges David Tennant over all of the other Doctors, Davies invented a way to avoid having to say goodbye to Tennant's 14th Doctor at all. 
The Toymaker kills the Doctor well before the episode ends, but because there are almost no rules to the Toymaker's realm, the Doctor doesn't regenerate, but bigenerates, meaning that he creates a new Doctor without destroying the old, causing David Tennant's 14th Doctor and Nakuti Gatwa's 15th Doctor to exist simultaneously. The twist makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, except that it happens at a time when the rules of logic are thrown out the window. So in the Toymaker's world, well, that's all right then. The bigenerational gimmick does give us a chance to see Gatwa's doctor in all his glory as he contributes to the episode's resolution rather than just appearing for a few brief moments at the episode's end as is typical for new doctors. And while most new doctors spend their first episode confused and bewildered while they try to figure out who their newest incarnation actually is, Gotwood has to hit the ground running and make his newly regenerated doctor into a fully formed character straight out of the gate. Miraculously, Gotwood pulls this off flawlessly and already demonstrates the 15th Doctor to be incredibly endearing and likable from the start. But the refusal to say an actual goodbye to the 14th Doctor feels like this is, once again, the David Tennant show. The 14th Doctor claims he's going to stop running everywhere and settle down to live a normal life with his best friend Donna, Catherine Tate, and her family. But in the last scene, it's revealed that 14 has been sneaking off in his TARDIS anyway and having continued adventures. My hope is that this will be the last of the 14th Doctor that we will see until the next anniversary special in 10 or 15 years' time. Because if this show intends to bring back 14 as some sort of recurring character, I'll throw a shoe at the television every week it happens. And that's not to say that I don't love David Tennant as the Doctor, because I do. He's wonderfully fun, whimsical, charming, and charismatic, and certainly easy on the eyes, and that's coming from a lesbian. He's a wonderful version of the Doctor, but so is Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi and Jodie Whittaker, Colin Baker, Peter Davidson, Tom Baker, Paul McGann, Sylvester McCoy, and all the rest of them. The ending to this special feels like Russell T. Davies is saying to the world, isn't David Tennant's doctor the one I cast a special doctor? They all are, Russell. They all are. The Giggle is streaming now on Disney+. Plus. The next special, The Church on Ruby Road, streams on Disney+, Plus on Christmas Day. Laura Jane Grace releases new single, Cuffing Season. Laura Jane Grace, recently named one of Billboard magazine's 50 greatest rock lead singers of all time, is set to release her new album, Hole in the Head, on February 16, 2024. Grace has released her third single off the album, entitled Cuffing Season. Previously, Dysphoria Hoodie and the titular Hole in My Head were also released from the album. With Cuffing Season, Grace reveals an acoustic track that addresses topics of age and hardship. I think as you get older and go through life's hurts and heartbreaks, it gets harder and harder to let yourself be open and vulnerable, Grace says. But when you do, it can be so worth it, even if you just end up hurt and heartbroken again. In the end, I don't think you regret those kind of losses. I think you regret not trying. An official music video for Cuffing Season, directed by Margarita Ballerin, is available to stream now on YouTube. The stylized video incorporates both drawn and live components to add to the song's powerful vocals. 
Grace's forthcoming album has been described as having the musical stylings of punk, folk punk, and 50s rock, a reflective and nuanced album that tackles Grace's lived experiences and self-exploration. Hole in My Head also garnered overwhelming positive critical reviews based off of the three released singles. On the short but oh-so-sweet Hole in My Head, Grace plugs into a fuzzy punk sensibility to celebrate the mood-shifting beauty of good rock songs. Press play and let all that pent-up rage out for a minute and a half, Bilbert says of the titular track. Grace has been known for singing and writing about her experiences as a punk, a transgendered woman, and as an individual. And it appears that Hole in My Head will follow that theme as Grace takes listeners ruminative journey through the human experience. Laura Jane Grace can be seen on tour in the United States in December 2023 and March 2024, as well as in Greece in January 2024. Tickets can be purchased via Grace's official website. Holiday Safety Planning Part 2 Yo, the holidays are hard. Listen, the holidays are hard for everyone. Routines are thrown off balance and stressors add up. Every year, emotions are activated in response to our families of origin, whether you engage with them or the holidays or not. For LGBTQ plus people, there is a deeper layer of stressors associated with the holidays. Culturally, we need more support in navigating this time of year. So here are some tools. As an LGBTQ plus therapist, I spend much of the holiday season with my clients, cultivating awareness for foreseeable stressors, re-traumatization, and planning for emotional wellness. Last year, I shared the queer holiday safety planning approach I use with clients and community members. Go check last year's article out here. This year, I'm going more in-depth with several tangible tools that help protect emotional and nervous system regulation and personal values related to healthy conflict resolution. This holiday, I'm giving you a timeout. Timeouts are the most effective tool for conflict resolution. I learned about timeouts during my time working exclusively in LGBTQ plus intimate partner abuse and anger management. Traditionally, anger and abuse intervention is a crucial tool for conflict resolution, de-escalization, and self-regulation for partners, family, friends, and ourselves. The term may sound patronizing, I get it, but it's an extremely effective name. We all have nervous systems and we're never taught how to regulate them and timeout works. There is so much to be angry about, and what do we want to do about it? I used to run an anger management group with my mentor, Deborah Giovanni. She taught me the ins and outs of timeouts with clients. It is a tool I love to use with myself when I am dysregulated and having a hard time recovering. She would always frame the use of an effective timeout with this Viktor Frankl quote, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. Contextually, this helps us understand how we cannot change overnight oppressive people or homo by transphobic situations. With practice, we, we can gain autonomy and empower ourselves in challenging situations with problematic people, and that is a queer liberation. The ABCs of timeouts. 
Timeouts are all about self-regulation, so noticing when you are becoming dysregulated is critical. Within timeouts, there is a five-step sequential approach to de-escalate conflicts and regulate emotional distress. The first step is to recognize the physical cues and stress thoughts you experience that signal that tension is building. Second, assert immediately. I need to take a time out. Third, immediately leave the situation for a full hour to disengage from the conflict. Regulate activated emotions and not spend the hour trying to fix the situation, blaming and ridiculing yourselves or others for the conflict. In step four, you return to the person or situation after one hour if it is safe. The final step is to check with the other person or people and attempt to clarify the situation with I statements revisit boundaries, and use assertive communication. If tension or conflict continues, take another time out. What if going home is an inside job? Returning to our queerness. Wondering what you can do during a timeout to self-regulate? Great question. It's all about calming down, grounding ourselves, and returning to our queerness. So often, people try to calm down by meditating, turning inward, and turning off, or being silent. However, for traumatized and oppressed folks like us queers, meditation is not a safe place because silence becomes filled with our fear and painful memories. Physical and active grounding techniques are an excellent alternative. My all-time favorite grounding exercise is 54321 grounding. It is simple and can be practiced anytime and anywhere by simply noticing and orienting. Think of five objects you can see, four sounds you can hear, three things you can smell, two tastes you can notice in your mouth, and one thing you are feeling. By moving from outer to inner, you come back home within yourselves. Where you connect to what you need, there are endless free grounding exercises available online on YouTube. I suggest you explore a few and find a grounding exercise you like to ensure it is a good fit for you before using it in a stressful situation. Holiday Wellness Activities Alternatives to grounding exercises can be focused on daily tangible activities. I love to help folks cultivate positive thinking, focus on positive memories, and affirming our queerness. This doesn't have to be exhaustive and can be as simple as listing 10 things you are grateful for. Queer things. LOL. We can make a simple daily needs list that we check off throughout the day to stay accountable to our needs and values. This creates accountability and builds self-esteem for values. When all else fails, distract. Go for an engaged walk where you focus on breathing, look, and count at all the instances you can see your favorite color. Listen to your favorite album from start to finish. Watch a non-stressful movie or show. Call a friend and ask them to help you to not talk or think about the conflict or trigger. Journal, draw, collage, be creative, dance, move, stretch. Set a timer for when you will address an issue and let yourself go until that time comes. Do anything and everything that helps you feel connected to yourself and your truth. All these emotional regulation tools are included in this article as images. Save them to your phone and use them as needed this holiday season and in the future. Now, what do you do once you are regulated and return to the challenging situation? These are great opportunities to engage in clarifying conversations. 
We can never control if those we are engaging with will be respective. We can, however, keep our side of the street clean in how we approach resolution. I love a good I statement that helps us only speak from our experience of an issue or conflict. Here's a pro tip. As you utter, you did, you made me feel, you caused, in an I statement, you are dead in the water. The holiday yes and of difference. Other types of clarifying communication like I statements include simply naming shared agreements like I also want to enjoy the holidays with you and we are very different people and I need my identity respected as much as you do or I know we love each other and we are very different people and I don't know how we can best respect our differences. It's the yes and fluid approach versus the no but polarized stance. If the choice is to enter challenging situations this holiday season, how can we approach them with queer multiplicity versus heteronormative politicization? Ultimately, this holiday season, we can also say no. I encourage it if that is correct for you. The holidays are complicated no matter how us queer folks approach them. So what is in your best interest? What honors your values? Queerness. This holiday season, how can you, as Frankel stated, honor your power, growth, and freedom? We can't control others, situations, or the holidays. However, with practice, we can control ourselves, our role in relationships, and methods of leading a life in line with our queer values. I hope you don't need these tools. More than likely, you will need one or two of these tools. I invite you to lead this holiday season with compassion for yourself, your nervous system, and your queerness. Australian LGBTQ plus activist Alexander Leon stated beautifully, queer people don't grow up as themselves. We grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. The massive task of our adult lives is to unpack which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts are created to protect us. Please take good care of yourself over the holidays, and I wish you a happy new year. Florida proposes expanding Don't Say Gay to the workplace. A new Florida bill has been proposed and would expand the infamous and ignorant Don't Say Gay bill to the workplace. House Bill 599 was introduced last month by freshman Republican Representative Ryan Chamberlain with specific rules that target individuals in government workplaces and nonprofits. The bill would create drastic changes to Florida's employment statutes and declare that a person's sex is an immutable biological trait. If that's not bad enough, it would also prohibit government employees from using a person's pronouns if they do not correspond to his or her sex. This outrageous bill goes on and on to banning employees from asking workers to share their pronouns and even prevent trans employees from sharing their pronouns at all. Even more so, the bill would prohibit employees and contractors from providing to an employer his or her preferred personal title or pronouns if they do not match the workers assigned sex at birth. Additionally, the bill would wreak havoc for incredible nonprofit organizations by by banning any tax-exempt nonprofit or employer that receives state funding from requiring any training, instruction, or other activity on sexual orientations, gender identity, or gender expression. If this bill does pass, it would serious impacts and consequences for LGBTQ plus nonprofit organizations and individuals in Florida. 
trans journalist and activist Aaron Reed wrote that this bill could effectively torpedo LGBTQ plus nonprofits and activist programs, comparable to Russian laws that outlaw gay and trans propaganda. Reed continues by saying most organizations would be likely to shut down and that it would be nearly impossible to continue operations legally at that point. It would be a blatant power grab by the state targeting organizations critical to the government and would further drive LGBTQ plus activism and organizing underground in the state. Reed states, Anna Eskimani, a Florida representative and the state's first elected Iranian-American lawmaker, echoed Reed's concerns on X, stating the bill was bigoted unnecessarily and highly unconstitutional. Although the Florida legislative session does not restart until March of 2024, bills can still be proposed and filed for consideration next year. Since Ron DeSantis' disguising Don't Say Gay bill was passed in 2022, dozens of trans Florida residents have fled as their lives have been uprooted and disheveled. It is obvious that this bill would be an obvious power grab and goes to prove just how obsessed these Florida Republicans are with trying to erase the LGBTQ plus community. Gay Furry Hackers Breach Nuclear Lab A collective of self-proclaimed gay furry hackers group called SiegeSec leaked thousands of human resource records from a nuclear research laboratory last month. Their only demand was that the lab begin researching cat-girl development. In a Telegram post in mid-November, SiegeSec, a group of anonymous activists who favored I-33-T-Speak and furry lingo, claimed to have infiltrated the security systems of the Idaho National Laboratory. The lab is one of the largest nuclear research facilities in the U.S. and conducts both military and medical research. The furry group released a list of names, addresses, and social security numbers for employers and users at the INL, which were confirmed to be real. Siege Sect went on to say, we're willing to make a deal with INL if they research creating IRL catgirls. We will take down this post. Of course, the outrageous demand was largely a joke. Genetically modified catgirls are a popular meme and a likely unreachable pipe dream for the fantastically minded. Elon Musk, for instance, occasionally speaks about his desire to make cat girls real. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303 786 Seven 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 seven. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros.